Well, good morning, church. Good morning, those who are joining us via live stream and those who are worshiping with us on our campus. You know, as Pastor Terrence proclaimed and shared from his heart, this week has been a tough week, but not just this week. I think the Lord has uh, caught our attention again, and the Lord is speaking to us in, in different ways. I do think that in the past few weeks, and I won't name names in this uh, public sermon, uh, it's all in our Wednesday night prayer guide, and the families who uh, are, are being cared for know who they are. Uh, but, uh, you know, yesterday we experienced the, the passing of a sister that we've been praying for over 16 years, and uh, constant suffering, constantly fighting the good fight, maintaining faith, painful for the family, and the Lord said, this is the time, and said, well done, good and faithful servant, it's time to come home. You know, it's, it's hard when it's children that are impacted, and in the past two weeks, we've been praying for, and the body of Christ has been caring for a three-year-old with leukemia, right? This week, midweek, received messages and of a, of a mother uh, early in pregnancy, extreme pain in the abdomin abdominal area, had to go in and possibly had to do surgery, which would have possibly resulted in a loss of the child. By God's grace, test results came back. Mother still in pain, no surgery, still praying for this mother and the child. Then two weeks ago, or within the last two weeks, we have two families, faithful sisters, who lost their elderly parent, right? Two, two different families. When you consider that all of this is happening within a two-week time frame, and we as a church, we have a date set. We want to reopen on June 20th. We're a church of a reasonable size. It's easy for us to get really focused on the logistics, getting all the protocol down, getting the logistics ready, getting all the teams ready, seeing how to bring back volunteers and servant leaders. All of this is happening, and it's easy to get busy and caught up. And the Lord says, look, all of these trials are specifically happening in the English congregation. So listen, slow down. Just as one part of the body aches and hurts in your physical body, you give attention to it. It doesn't mean you stop living. It doesn't mean you cancel life or cancel goals. But it does mean that you take the time to address the members of your body that are hurting and you start paying attention and maybe make some changes. And I believe the Lord is telling us that the fuel for reopening is prayer. So if you've been coming to our prayer meetings, you've realized that we've been praying for these people. And then that opening time has been a little bit longer. And then as we go into breakout time, you know, I've been receiving personal care and blessing from my breakout group. You know, so, so we get to pray more specifically for our people. And so we know that not everybody can make it, but I do want to invite those of you who can. The Wednesday night prayer meeting does become our means of communicating not only prayer, but how to care, prayer and care. But the prayer meeting is really the fuel for our reopening. And the prayer warriors then pray, empowering the body to care. The other thing I experienced this week was just having to apply in my heart the texts that are so timely that we've been preaching on. It just, by God's sovereign design, 
that we are in 1 Corinthians 12, leading into chapter 13 and 14. And it's talking about spiritual gifts. And myself, realizing that oftentimes, recently, with two very young children at home, sometimes I'm watching them by myself all day, that when things happen, I can't make it to the hospital. There's no time to call for scheduling, for babysitting. And with COVID protocols, even some of you doctors will tell us that even the chaplains can't get into the room bedside. Sometimes they're able to. And so things have changed. Sometimes we can give a phone call, and the Lord convicted me and said, look what you've been preaching. Trust the body. Trust the body. Look at the people with gifts, the people who are retired, the people without children at home. They can go. And you guys have been doing it. You guys have been delivering food. You've been visiting outside the hospital. You've been praying. And even in my breakout group, you guys encouraged me Wednesday night, encouraging me. So I think it's fitting that we are in this time of studying the gifts because the gifts are really what unites us. You know, if we pay attention to God and if we learn what it means to go before his throne and just to listen to him and just to pray and then to unite around the need to care for the hurting, really that's the strongest preparation we can have for reopening. All of the tertiary things, whether it's political issues, racial issues, even COVID issues, all of those are secondary and third-level issues because when people are hurting, we realize who we are as a church. The body begins to act like the church, and we have unity. And when we come back, we will be spiritually stronger and healthier. So that June 20th date is set. We're planning, but let's not lose sight. So the title of this morning's message is Divine Clarity for Charismatic Controversy, and this is part two. Last week, we laid the groundwork for this series, this little mini-series of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And so if you've missed that, you really want to go to our YouTube channel and watch last week's sermon or listen to it, uh, because then you'll get all the background We're not going to explain all of the charismatic gifts today because they were explained in detail last week. We're going to explain the gifts that are newly added this week. And once again, Paul in chapter 12 doesn't doesn't cover every single gift, right? He just, he's emphasizing the gifts that they are dividing over, and they are dividing over the more charismatic gifts, Also, if you joined us on Tuesday night, we went into more detail where we could on Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement, and such. We will continue that this week. So if you're wondering if we're ever going to talk about whether the gifts have ceased or whether they continue today, that's what we're going to do this Tuesday night. And maybe we can go into a little more detail on the modern practice of prophecy and what that's like, because Paul, obviously, once you get into chapter 14, he emphasizes that you should desire prophecy, that prophecy is important, that we should practice prophecy. So what does it mean to prophesy? And if he's telling everybody to do it, then it's not just the preachers, because there's only a few who preach. And so what does that look like? Maybe we'll get into that this Tuesday night uh, before we 
angle into a couple weeks talking about the modern or the current hot topic of deconstructionism in the church. So that's, that's looking at Tuesday night. But we're going to stay with the text on Sunday just to maintain our time. Okay? So uh, if you have God's Word, take it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And today we pick up in verse 12. Point number one is the unity and diversity of gifts illustrated. The unity and diversity of gifts illustrated. I do think that the illustration given is common sense, doesn't need too much exposition, but I think it's fitting in light of what's happening in our English congregation in these past three weeks. So let me read it to you. In verses 12 to 13, Paul writes this, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So in verse 12, Paul introduces his main illustration for the rest of chapter 12, and he uses the human body, which we are all familiar with. He uses the human body to illustrate a metaphor and compares the human body with many different body parts to the church with many different members, with many different gifts. And this is why, if you're new to the church, you'll hear Christians refer to the church as the body of Christ. Why would we do this? It's because the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he uses the same metaphor. And so we would say that every human, uh, every part of your body is essential. Right? None of us would say, I don't mind if you take away my hand or my finger or my toes, or you could rip out my inner parts because nobody can see them. But my face, that's what everyone sees, so let, let's keep that together. Right? Nobody would say that. We would say every single part of the body is crucial, and if there's one part of the body that hurts, it impacts us. You have a toothache, it's very little, but it, it, it impacts you. You can't function the same way. Uh, if, if you, and this is kind of gross, okay, but if, if, you, if you have a dislodged toenail or fingernail, you might say, well, who cares? That's not even a broken bone. That's not cancer. But hey, it's going to make a difference. It's going to bother you for the rest of the day. And so every single part of the body matter, matters. And if one small part of the body, even the hidden parts that, that can be covered up, if that is impacted, it impacts the entire body. And so it is with the church. If any part of the church is dividing, fighting, or hurting, then it impacts the entire body because we are spiritually one. The unity that we experience is a spiritual unity. And that's why in verse 13, he says, the starting point of our unity is the Holy Spirit. It says, for in one spirit, capital S, in your English translations, we were baptized into one body. And this, of course, is talking about the spiritual body. This is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody has received water baptism yet, right? There are those who have received baptism as a symbol of the inward faith, and that's the, the water baptism. Now, not everybody has experienced that. There are brand new believers who are still yet to be baptized, 
But then every believer, upon your conversion, you are baptized into the body of Christ spiritually through the Holy Spirit. And how do you know this? It's because in the last part of verse verse 13, it says, we were made to drink of one spirit. So that's not talking about water baptism. If you were made to drink of one capital S spirit, this is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised that there would be a helper who would come and every believer would receive this Holy Spirit. And then this Spirit, this Spirit unites all different kinds of things that would divide us in society. And that's why in the middle of verse 13, notice it says Jews or Greeks. Notice that it doesn't get specific with race. It doesn't get specific with ethnicity because we understand that the gospel already breaks down the barriers of ethnicity. But what divided the ancient world more was culture. There were Jews, and specifically for Jews, yes, there was religion that was tied to their race and ethnicity, but it was a Jewish culture that separated themselves. They separated themselves to Gentile culture. And during that time, if you weren't Jew, and because you were under this dominance of first the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire, then you are Greco-Roman, right? So that's like secular, basically. If you were Jewish, you were religious in culture to some degree. If you were just not Jewish, then most likely you worship some pagan god of, of polytheism, but that means that you're part of Greco-Roman culture. So neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, is talking about your, your, your classification in society. If you were a slave, it was very different from American slavery. Yes, there were horrible abuses in the ancient world, but this was like an entire class of people that did not have their own freedom socially. And then there were freemen. Right? And we, we taught before the slaves could actually work up with the help of their masters to receive their own freedom. That a, a large uh, part of society was at one time a slave and then were slaves and then they became freemen. And some were born freemen. But, so you're talking about the gospel breaking down the barriers that would divide people, culture and class. Now, we have this all over the world today, but the gospel unites. And so that's what it's saying, that there's a spiritual unity. And in fact, God does not discriminate. When it comes to spiritual gift, he doesn't look at whether you're Jewish or Greek. He gives you the gifts that he wants to give you. He might say, you're a slave, but I'm going to give you powerful gifts to bless the church. He might say... You know, you are, you are Greek. You don't know anything about Judaism or the Old Testament, but I'm going to give you the gift of teaching, and you're going to be able to exposit the Old Testament with power and point it to Christ. He might just do that. And so that's how the Spirit works, is that He, he breaks all of the boundaries that would divide people. And so the unity and diversity of the gifts is illustrated through the spiritual body and so all are united despite the diversity. So the diversity of gifts. So even though everyone has different gifts, there's unity. That's point number one. Point number two is the need for a diversity of gifts. And we see this in verses 14 and 19. Let me read that to you. Paul writes, For the body does not consist of one member but many. That means if, if it's many members, then many gifts. And he uses a humorous illustration, which you know that this never happens in real life. 
He says in verse 15, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to that body, that would not make it any less the part of the body. Now, let me pause and give you an illustration. Some of you might think, Well, I'm not the preacher. I'm not gifted in teaching. I'm not gifted in other gifts. So maybe I don't have to show up to church. Well, that's what he's saying. He says, no, every, if you are a believer, you have gifts and you are needed. Now, you might have to discover your gift and you need to be qualified in terms of character in term, to serve. God looks at character over competence. We know that because of the moral failure of Christians. You see that in evangelicalism, that God cares more about character than competence. Okay, don't let anybody tell you that competence matters more. Because you can have the most gifted people in the world, they disqualify themselves, they're out, right? So it's all about character, but character comes with spirit-empowered gifting. So nobody can say, because I'm not that important, you are important. Because I don't have those gifts, nobody needs me. No, Jesus is saying every person by sovereign design has gifts, and if you're not discovering and using your gifts, then there's actually some disobedience. That we need to consider. Now, God knows that not everybody's able to exercise your gifts in the same way. You might be sick. You might not be able to. You might have to be at home. But at a certain point, there's ways that we have to exercise our gifts. And then verse 16, it says, If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, meaning if everybody had the gift of tongues, or if everybody were, were gifted in teaching, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would it be the sense of smell? Now, we know that the whole body is not an ear because evangelicalism doesn't know how to listen to each other, right? <laughs> so we know the whole body is not an ear. That's a joke, okay? But if the whole body were an eye, where would the, be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would it be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. As, as he chose. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. And what you have to understand is that in the, the book uh, of 1 Corinthians, in this epistle, there's one gift that they all fought over. There's one gift that the people are dividing over. And that becomes very clear in chapter 14, and that is the gift of tongues. It becomes clear that Paul specifically mentions if, if, if you have all the tongues of angels, if you have all the tongues but not have love, those tongues are like clanging cymbals. It's like a kid banging pots and pans all day. That, it, it, it's, that, it sounds annoying to God. Something that's meant to be angelic is now blasphemous to him, sounding like an abomination because of a lack of love. And then in chapter 14, he goes further and says, a lot of you guys want tongues, but if you don't have interpretation or if there's not interpretation, it's not that it's a, it's a bad gift. It's beneficial for the individual, but it's not as high of a gift. It's not as important as prophecy. And he mentions over and over again that there are certain gifts that bless more people and bless everyone, and those are the gifts that should be cherished and treasured. So it's very clear that that you could almost say if everybody had the gift of tongues and that's all they had, then where would be the rest of the body? And that's really what he's going for. Okay, so, so we can gently say then that in the church today, there are many believers who are not serving and exercising their gifts. And so we as a church need to go back to that. 
that yes, there are always needs, and we want to run to our, the needs, but, but we are going to be the healthiest. We are going to be most vibrant when each and every person seeks God, seeks our gifts, discovers our gifts, develops the skill because it takes time. The Spirit doesn't just make you amazing overnight, right? You do have to exercise your gifts and then to be deployed in the body. And when every member starts working, that's how it works. It's going to be good. You understand that your foot won't ever say to your hand, like, why am I a foot? I don't want to be the foot. I want to be the hand, right? Your liver is not going to say to your heart, I want to be the heart. In, instead, they all just function. The, the, the human body is intelligent in it, of itself. There's an interconnectedness of the human body. Doctors know this. And your foot is just supposed to be the foot. The heart is just supposed to be the heart. Your liver is supposed to do its job. It doesn't start arguing or dividing. right? It just knows what it's supposed to do. And when it's not functioning, then there's something wrong. Then it needs medical attention or it needs a miracle. Right? And so in the same way, that's Christianity. That's the Christian church. That every part of the body needs to figure out who you are. And once you know, you don't have to compare or wish you just function. But it takes time for us because we have sin. And so that leads to point number three. Point number three this morning is the need for every gift to be exercised. In other words, the importance of every single gift that the Spirit is given. Now, we see this in verses 21 to 26. Let me read this to you. It, he continues the humorous rhetorical speech. In verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. In fact, the eye wouldn't even say that because there's hand-eye coordination. right? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the, uh, the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think about that. There are, there are parts that are hidden like your inner parts, you cannot rip those out, right? They're indispensable. You could actually lose a limb and still function, but you cannot lose your heart. You cannot lose certain internal organs. You will die. But yes, you can, uh, sadly, you, your leg can be amputated and you can still survive. So we can all understand how practical these illustrations are. Verse 22, once again, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, like the private parts which we cover up, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. What do you mean? Well, what does it mean to be modest? There are certain private parts that we, we need to cover up. right? We all know what those are. And actually, we give more care to those parts. Verse 24, which are, more um, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Which means God cares more about those inter-parts. The parts that cause the body to run. Like you can have all the stage gifts. But if you don't have the gift of administration, your church won't even function. If you don't have the gifts of encouragement, nobody's coming to your church to hear those, those 
those stage gifts, right? Like teaching and so forth. You need those gifts. You need the gift of leadership in order for the gift to, uh, to run. You need to be behind the scenes. You need, you need certain gifts to serve behind the scenes. The gift of service, which in is some places it translates helps. If you don't have servants, servant leaders, you're not going to have a church. Right? The body's just not going to run. So sometimes people look at those gifts and you're like, those aren't the gifts that draw people to church. People come for the stage gifts, but really the entire church needs to function. And we all know that. And so, so, so that's what it's saying. And then verse 25, it says that there may, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And verse 26, here's what we've been saying. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Okay, here's the other thing we realize about the body of Christ. The body of Christ is divided, sadly, in our day. And so you have denominations, you have tribes, and you have churches where, where you have bodies that, that aren't complete. And we wonder why the body is not as functional. You have people who, who really love, you know, you're more thinkers. And so you really love the gift of knowledge. And you really love the gift of wisdom. And you really love the teaching gift. So you go to churches where there's really gifted teachers. And you learn a lot about the Bible. Okay? But sometimes there's an imbalance. Then you have churches where people are practicing privately, though, in their homes. But they allow for and encourage the modern practice of tongues. Or they actually pray a lot in faith that God would heal. And so because they're more emotional at times, they draw the more emotional people. And those would be the, the greatest musicians and the artists and the creative ones, right? So you, you see the human personality. And so people naturally gravitate towards where their gifts are. And then you have the seeker-sensitive church where you have an evangelist as the main teacher. And so those who love evangelism and they love to reach the lost, and those who have the gift of giving, meaning God somehow has given them generosity, but they also make a lot of money. So God's given them natural skills of business, but they also have the gift of generosity. And God says, okay, I'm going to put this person to be attracted to these evangelists who are able to reach a lot of people because big churches have resources that are able to mobilize major movements. And so then you see the church people begin to go and gravitate towards the churches with the people, with the gifting that meets their interests and desire, and then you see the body divided. That's what we see. So that's why you see Bible teaching churches filled with Bible people. You see charismatic churches with, the, with all those crazy worship ministries that, that make the radio because the worship is so strong. And the production is good. Now, I know that there are unique situations where the church is very balanced, but that's just how people are. They gravitate towards the people that they attribute themselves in likeness to. And so I think this is why humility calls us that sometimes the church is not as effective as it can be because it lacks gifting. And when I say that, I mean it lacks power. 
the power that the Spirit gives to the church is within the individual members of the church. And in order for the church to be vibrant and functional, it needs every single gift. And that's what we pray for. Every gift must be exercised. Every gift. And so that leads then to, well, who gives the gifts? This is the Holy Spirit. That leads to point number four. Point number four is a repetition of last week's passage. And point number four is the reminder of God's sovereign distribution of gifts. The reminder of God's sovereign distribution of gifts. And we see this in verses 27 to 31. It says in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So there's a body and there's membership. Church membership practically, administratively, is the practical outworking of the spiritual reality that it says here. So if someone says, where does the Bible teach membership? Well, the Bible uses spiritual language, but the execution of the spiritual language is the administrative practice that our church and other churches would call church membership. Okay, so it says, now you are the body of Christ, but individually members of it. And this is why it's important. Yes, there can be online people, and I know COVID has created the online church, but if the local church was just the church universal, meaning if there was no local church, meaning if, if it was just like, okay, you're part of the universal body, so every Sunday you just stay home and log on to whatever church you want to, then how can you guarantee that that church could even run? Meaning you have the administrators, the helpers, the servants, the teachers committed to that church. And remember that... Yes, you could say I'm a Christian, so I'm a member of the body, so every Sunday I just drive to a different church. Well, so that how could any of those churches run if they don't know that there are members who are going to show up and run the service and run the ministry and do the ushering, right? There would be no church. And that's why the Bible does teach membership because the gifts need to be exercise in order for any church to run every single Sunday. That's by sovereign design, and that's why we encourage you to be a member to, so, that, so that we know that you can be committed to serve and be here. And that's why ultimately, if, you know, there, there can be live stream and there can be online ministry, but the church cannot be just online. It's impossible. Every online church needs a physical base to run the online ministry, right? Someone to be committed. Uh, and so this is something that we need to think about in verse 28. And it says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So I want you to notice first that there are three offices here that, that uh, was given to the early church and some of it continues today. Then he names gifts, right? First apostles and, and, and uh, then is then uh, second prophets, then teachers, then he says, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helping. Helping is the gift of service, okay? Administration. Administrating is the gift of leadership, and there's different forms of leadership, right? And various kinds of tongues. And then it says, verse 29, and are all apostles rhetorically? No. There's only, there's only 12 minus Judas, and then you can add Paul and Matthias. And that's it, right? 
are all prophets? No, there were specific prophets in the Old Testament and specific prophets in the New Testament. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No, because he's just made the point that not everybody's an eye. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a, a more excellent way. So Paul is specifically speaking rhetorically, and the implied answer is no. Not everyone has these gifts. Now, he lists nine gifts today, and once again, these are not exhaustive because there's gifts listed in Romans. There's other gifts that will be mentioned later. There's gifts uh, referred to in, in uh, 1 Peter. But, but uh, and in Ephesians, there are gifts mentioned. But here, there are nine gifts. I'm only going to cover four because uh, we're, we're going to cover apostle, teacher, helps, and administration. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about prophecy. So the prophet would prophesy, and we talked about, you know, the, the early church versus, uh, versus today, and we're going to maybe talk about that this week if we have time on Tuesday night towards the end. Okay, we'll talk about prophecy today. Miracles we talked about last week. Kinds of healings we talked about last week. Tongues we talked about last week. Interpretation of tongues we talked about last week. Um, I don't want to talk about tongues. I'm looking at this. I'm thinking of lengua burrito. I just can't do it. I haven't given a food joke in a while, and I just can't do it. I, I want one right now. If someone go across the street, get me one. <laughs> uh, all right, so verse, I'm just kidding. Don't do it, okay? Verse, uh, verse 28. First, by listing the offices, I want to talk about apostle. So we've explained in the past that, uh, that, that apostles were people who you had to have seen Christ. You had to have seen Christ face to face. And so because in the early church, the scriptures weren't finished yet. So how do you know that, that uh, the teaching, the prophecies, or the words that were taught were authoritative? There was actually the word of God. That there were apostles, sent ones from Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 2, it says the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the apostles actually got the, the ordained ordinance to be sent out to speak the word of God. And that's why all of the authors of the New Testament were either apostles or they were closely associated with an apostle. Now, Paul was not an original disciple, but remember that when he was persecuting the church on the Damascus Road, Jesus met him, knocked him off his horse and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? He was converted. Then he spent time with Jesus and then Jesus gave him the call that you will be my, my apostle to the Gentiles. And so, so Paul was an apostle. Today, you have what some spiritual gifts inventories would refer to the gift of apostleship. And so, yes, there are churches who, where there are leaders who say, I am an apostle. And, and most of us would be skeptical of that type of teacher, right? So if I were to tell you, I am an apostle. I've been given new revelation from God. You would say, Hanley, we have scripture, and uh, I don't know how can you prove, and I say, I can't prove it to you. So if I can't prove it to you, then I can't, there's no one who can confirm that if I'm telling you something that's from God, that's actually from God. So I will say that the office of apostle no longer exists today. What exists today is the gift of apostleship, 
which I think it's healthier to say this is the gift of leadership in a certain way, right? So some would say this is the pioneering gift. And, and uh, apostleship practice, these are the church planters. These are the movement leaders. These are the people who start denominations, start movements, start missionary movements. These are the missionaries the, the launch movements into unreached people groups. And so what is their gift? Now, apostleship is not like really a gift. I would say the people who you would call them, uh, the, w- the people with apostleship, they have the gift of faith. They might have the gift of evangelism and some gift of leadership. Okay, and so that would be the gift of apostleship. Some would say this is an entrepreneurial gift, right, that you want to start ministry, that the Spirit of God gives you faith to see vision, to, to have faith to say, we're going to plant a church here. Nobody believes me, but we're going to reach these people. And they do it, and God grows the ministry. But where's the gift? It's the gift of evangelism. That's what it is. A lot of times, they have the gift of evangelism, that they're able to evangelize people, and they're able to lead other people to follow them, right? Now, the gift of teaching. Teaching is a gift that enables a believer to accurately interpret and communicate the Bible in such a way that becomes clear, that, that the Word of God becomes clear and understood by others. Now, specifically, when it, when it says the you know, teaching, so what's the difference? Well, there's a skill of teaching that's also from God. So if you're a teacher at all, in any capacity, you have a skill of teaching. And then in the church, there's different le- levels of the gift of teaching, right? And so if you're just giving information, we mentioned last week that that's no, not so much the gift being, being executed because when the gift is, is exercised, there's something called all of the gifts. There's the manifestation of the Spirit. That's what it says. And so the manifestation is the power of God working through teaching. And so if, if you keep your finger, or, or I guess, I don't know, how do you do that on, um, on your electronic device? Put a bookmark somehow. And if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll notice qualifications for, for pastors or elders. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if you notice in starting in verse 1, it gives a bunch of character qualifications. It says the trust the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires, meaning they desire, to the office of overseer, overseer, elder, pastor are interchangeable, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping his own children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit or fall into the condemnation of the devil moreover he must be well thought of by outsiders so he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil that's notice that the qualifications to be a pastor most of them all of those are character qualifications that if you weren't a pastor it would apply to you too because you wouldn't say that only pastors need to be self-controlled respectable sober-minded hospitable etc so there's only one quali- quality here that not every christian needs to have but the pastor must have and it's able to teach so what is that then so when you look at teaching Notice that nowhere in the Bible does it have a a gift of preaching. 
It says the pastors need to be able to teach. And every pastor has a different gifting of teaching. And so um, I know that there's different definitions, but I look at that as, as um, just this, this might not be entirely right, but it's, it's passion, precision, power. So passion is the desire. Passion is not necessarily being loud and yelling, but you actually have to desire to teach God's word. <laughs> if you feel like it's a pain to teach God's word, like you don't want to, then you probably don't have the gift. Right? So there's a passion to teach God's word. But, uh, but uh, you need to have precision, meaning if every single time you get up to teach, it's, it's inaccurate, meaning you're not interpreting the Spirit-inspired word, then probably that's not in inspired by the Spirit imparted by the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is not going to give blessing to false interpretation, even if it's just simple mistake, well-meaning. So you're talking about precision and accuracy. And that would separate the gift of teaching from great communicators in the Christian world who aren't really teaching the Word of God, right? Not really saying what the Word of God is saying. And so there's, there is the precision aspect of it. But then the most important is you can have plenty of people who have passion and precision. But the one that I don't always experience in every moment either, the one that you know when the Spirit is working and you can't plan it, you can't study for it, you can pray for it. That's it. You can be on your knees. You, you can't manuscript it. It's power. Passion, precision, power. What is the ability to teach? The manifestation of the Spirit. The power is when you teach the Word of God and people are convicted that it's not you, but it's God speaking through you. That is something that only the Holy Spirit can bring anointing upon the lips and unction, and that would be part of the modern practice of prophesying, but not the only form. And so when people say that preacher is gifted in preaching, there is no gift of preaching. It is the gift of teaching. And certain teachers have more power. And I, I jokingly mentioned that last week. So I, I'm, the, I'm the least, right, compared to the guys that you listen to on the radio or the people with really big churches, is that they're very powerful. They're very gifted. And so we learned a long time ago not to compare, you know, as preachers, not to be envious. That's God's gifting, sovereign distribution. That is the gift of teaching. And that's why um, we care about character. So when someone says, I want to be a pastor, the first thing we look at is we observe their character or we try to get references. But then that's why we say, okay, you have to guess teach. We need to see you teach. We need to see at least that there's passion, there's precision, and there's some degree of power. That's what separates, you know, just the average school teacher from the spirit field proclaimer of God's word, right? Gift of teaching. And the gift of teaching needs to be developed. It needs to, it takes time as well. And so I, I'm still working on it. I don't think I have a strong gift. Uh, thank you for praying for me. I keep on studying. I keep on studying. People say, why do you keep wanting to go to school? Why do you keep studying? Why do you keep reading? I need to grow. But I know that of all things, I need the spirit's power, right? Uh, the, the, the next one we're going to look at that we didn't cover is uh, helps. Now, helps is the gift of service, right? And so this gift is the gift that enables a believer to work gladly behind the scenes in order that God's, God's work is fulfilled. Now, there's a difference here because there's nobody can, that can come to, to before God and say, well, I don't want to serve because I don't have a gift, 
right? This is one of the gifts where you can't say to, to the church that I'm not serving. Why? Because I don't have the gift. You can't do so. Every believer has to serve, but you know you have the gift of service when, when you, we have a lot of people with the gift of service here in our church. When, when, you, when your heart hurts when you can't serve, that when all you want to do is serve, that you find joy in serving. That doesn't mean you're not going to get tired. That doesn't mean you don't want appreciation. That doesn't mean that you're never going to complain, right? But it means that at the end of the day, after the Lord sanctifies your heart each time, that you, you wake up to serve the Lord. And so every believer, I believe, has some degree of desire to serve, but there are some who are just really good at it. And in our church, we have a lot of people and there's different kinds of service. And so I think there's a lot of you that, that like to serve. People who like to serve, a lot of times, you know, they're just like, I don't want to be mentioned. I don't want a, a position. I just want to be busy. I don't mind getting busy. I don't mind being behind this. I don't mind planning things. I don't mind serving food. I don't mind running to, the, uh, to Costco and buying stuff. I, in fact, I would love to do that for Jesus. Don't put me up on a pulpit. Don't put me in a, up in a Sunday school. I'm scared to evangelize. I, I'm not good with words, you know, but, but let me just do something for the Lord. If that's you, you might just have a gift of service, and we need you, okay? And then there are those with the gift of service and the gift of administration. So what does that mean? That means that those are the officers. Those are the people who are organizing other servants, Meaning not only do you love to serve, but part of your gift is administrating, leading other, other people. Um, my administrative gift is weak. I can't organize an Excel file. I can't organize a church picnic to save my life. It stresses me out. Right? It stresses me out to organize a church picnic. I wouldn't know. Like that stresses me out the most. How do you call the caterer? Who's going to be there to meet the caterer? I'm not good with money or finance, but if you want me to evangelize or preach, I'll do it. I'll pray, you know, and I'll give you a vision for it and I'll raise the funds. Okay, but 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 don't ask me to plan. I I can. It's going to take a long time and I'm weak, but some of you you tell me you do it in your sleep. Amen. That's you right there, right? I'm the guy that's gonna gonna read the like insurance for our church and not read the fine print and miss something and we're gonna get sued, right? So then we need people with a gift of not just service but clear administration to look at the details. And so a lot of you have that gift. That's the gift that every church needs to run. And so think about your different levels of service too. Right? And then there's the gift of administration, and this really is the gift of leadership. When you think of administration, we refer to the president's cabinet as his administration. We we so administration is not just uh, you know, sitting in front of an Excel file and answering phones. That's part of administration. But administration also is executive leadership. These are all different degrees of administration. Administration might be, you know, organizational leadership. Some of you have these skills. If you're in business, if you're in corporate America, if you're in, uh, if you're a CEO, you have the gift of administration and the church needs you, but it's very different because sometimes when you import the business skills into the church, you're like, dude, people aren't following. They're not changed. Yeah, because they're not paid. They don't have to show up. They don't, there's no motivation of payment or being fired, right? And that's where, what do you need? You need the power. Because when you're dealing with volunteers, you need a different motivation. And the motivation is power. 
And what is the power? It's the Holy Spirit convicting people's hearts to follow your administration and to want to organize and want to give. And that's all the Spirit's power, right? So those are the gifts that we didn't cover uh, last week. Now, let me spend some time uh, just ending by going through uh, something that, that I think is, is somewhat um, debated. Uh, I'll try to do this quickly. But when it says earnestly desire the higher gifts, the higher gifts is not talking about the gift of tongues or the charismatic gifts. It's not talking about that because he's just spent the uh, spilled so much ink telling you that not everybody has the same gift. And, he's tell, and he's, he's, he knows that everybody in Corinth is fighting over the gift of tongues. So it would be counterintuitive for him now to say, yeah, but eagerly desire just those charismatic gifts. So he's not talking about the higher gifts. There's different views here. Okay, The first view, which is not my personal view, is that some say that Paul is being sarcastic. That in rhetorical form, he's saying, well, go ahead if you want to and desire the tongues and desire all you want, the higher gifts that in your mind you consider higher, but I'm going to show you an excellent way. And the people who argue this way would say, well, it's setting up 1 Corinthians 13 to where he rebukes them and saying, you can have the higher gifts of tongues that you consider higher, but you don't have love. It's meaningless. It's a clanging symbol. That's not the view I take, but that's one view. Another view that some say is that Paul is simply stating, he's not being sarcastic, but he's actually stating what the Corinthians were already considering as the higher gifts, the gift of tongues. In this sense, he's simply stating, not sarcastically, but he's saying, by, by a matter of fact, you Corinthians are earnestly seeking the higher gifts the gift of tongues you consider. But I will show you a more excellent way, meaning you Corinthians are seeking tongues, saying that it's a higher gift, but I'm going to show you the highest gift, which is not a highest gift. He doesn't say it's a gift, a higher way, which is the way of love, right? I think the best gift is to view uh, this grammatically. Grammatically, uh, this is a command. Paul writes, earnestly desires a command, which means it's not sarcastic. He's actually telling them to earnestly seek these gifts. He's not making a, a sarcastic remark. Okay. Uh, secondly, the verse 31 flows out of the, of the rhetorical speech of verses 29 and 30. So he says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are, do all work miracles? No. Do all possess the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret tongues? No. The answer is obviously no. But Paul, but Paul, having argued that God distributes to each believer a different gift and that every gift is important, especially the gifts that people consider, you know, the the the, the back the the in you know the the less. Uh, modest gifts or the, the, the less popular gifts, we cannot choose our gifts. Now he says, um, now he says it would be a contradiction for him to say the higher gifts are tongues. Now he says three, the higher gifts are what he talks about in chapter 14, the gifts that people desire less, right? So, so he's actually saying that the higher gifts earnestly desire all the gifts that you aren't already desiring and then he's going to say there's one gift that everybody needs. It's the gift of prophecy. In fact, when you go to chapter 14, he's not saying that everybody will prophesy, right? But he's saying if you're going to earnestly desire, desire prophecy. Now, let's interpret that for us. It means desire the gifts that are going to edify 
everyone. Now, let me just read you the opening part of chapter 14. Chapter 14, first he says, pursue love, which is not a gift. It's a way. Love is the context for all gifts. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for, the, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, ideally, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. But he's just said not everybody will have tongues and not everyone will prophesy. So what does that mean? That means if you take prophecy as speaking the word of God in formal or informal ways and people can understand that and they're built up because the word of God is spoken, then you apply that to every other gift that blesses a lot of people. So what are the gifts that are not just individual? That it doesn't just bless one person. Like healing blesses one person, right? Edifies the body. But what are the gifts that bless everyone? Prophecy from the pulpit helps service administration. The gifts that nobody cares about. Teaching. The gifts that nobody is fighting over. That's what he's saying. Desire the greater gifts. He's basically switching things once again. He's saying, you guys are elevating these gifts. I'm going to tell you the gifts that you don't care about. Those are the most important gifts. And the gifts that you ought to seek are the ones that bless more of the body. So with that, let me conclude with the big idea. He says, Christ considers every believer to be an essential member of his body, which is reflected in the unity and diversity of spiritual gifts. Christ considers every believer to be an essential member of his body, which is reflected in the unity and diversity of spiritual gifts. We'll say more in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And uh, this week, just as we opened up the sermon in our prayer time, Lord, we've experienced such heavy loss in the passing of some that, someone that we love so dearly. In the, in, in the past four weeks, we've experienced two elderly passing away. Lord, we've seen young children and parents of young children suffer from disease or threat of disease. And there's many others in our church that are going through various physical ailments and emotional pain. Father, you've given us gifts so that we can care for one another and that we can come before you and be your church. Father, help us to come before you daily. Lord, when we come before you at times, Lord, we don't have the words to say sometimes. Help us even to be silent before your throne. And when we are silent before you, we're reminded, just like Isaiah saw, just like John in Revelation saw, Jesus, you sit on the throne. You know all things. You look at us worried, concerned, anxious, sometimes overconfident. You know our thoughts. You know our prayers. Lord, you know all things. You're sovereign over everything. Father, as you look upon us in that throne room, 
will you remind us that you are working through us. Remind us that our gifts are from you. And we take our orders and our commands from you alone. And then will you deploy us? Will you send us out? Not because we're awesome in ourselves, but after being in the presence of an awesome God, will you send us out, empowered by your presence, to exercise your gifts? Help, help us to be a church that begins each day in your throne room and then is sent out on every day, on our everyday mission to be your disciple makers, to exercise our gifts, to bless the body and to bless the world. In the name of Jesus, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.